Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Black Table Talk. It is our daring dialogue that we host on Tuesdays, on our Teachable Tuesday. I hope that you've been having a great and wonderful day. It is certainly clear and sunny outside, but it's still chilly here in the great state of Maryland. I'm coming to you again with some more Black History facts for this month, but I do want to give a shout out to my followers, and I also want to give a shout out to um, those who may be new here in our space. I want to say hello to you, and I want to give a shout out to those of you who participated in our Shakespearean language experience. Um, you guys kept me in stitches, uh, going on three days now, uh, people are still commenting on that post and showing forth their creativity, uh, in their writing. And so, um, <laughs> uh, I wanted to say thank you for all of the humor. Thank you for the laughs that I did not know I needed, um, they say laughter does good like medicine, and you all certainly, certainly have brought that to pass on that post. All right, so let me go ahead and get into some reading for you today. This is the adult version of Reading Rainbow. Excuse me. I feel like I have to sneeze, but it, let's see if it goes, if it passes by me. Uh, the book we're reading from is Young, Gifted, and Black 2, and we're going to look at some more icons from past to present. Let's see who we are diving in today. I think we stopped at France Fanon, so we are going to go to Octavia Butler, Thomas Sankara, and Lewis Hamilton for today. So we'll do those three. Let's see. Let's start with Lewis Hamilton and then we'll backtrack. Lewis Hamilton. I love these graphics within this book. So this is their graphic of Lewis Hamilton. All right. Lewis Hamilton, 1985 to the present. So he is a current history maker. Lewis Hamilton is a prize winning Formula One racing driver and seven time world champion. Lewis Hamilton is the first black driver to win the F1 World Drivers Championships. Born in Stevenage, England into a multiracial Roman Catholic family, with a British mother and a black father of Grenadian origins, Lewis Carl Davidson Hamilton was named after black American Olympic track and fielder, Carl Lewis. In 1991, Lewis's father gifted him a remote control car, which sparked his interest in racing. He started out racing carts at age eight. A hard worker with natural talent, Lewis soon reached the top of go-kart racing and by the time he was 10, he had won Britain's cadet karting competition. 
but Lewis wasn't close to finished. He had a big goal in his sights, becoming an F1 driver. At 13, Lewis signed with the McLaren and Mercedes-Benz Young Driver Support Program, taking his racing to the next level. Two years later, he was the youngest racer in history to earn the kart racing's number one position. Then, in 2007, he made his hard-earned debut as an F1 driver for McLaren and became the first driver with Black ancestry to compete in the series. His career has been at full speed ever since, with Lewis winning races, breaking records, and gaining fans worldwide. In addition to his seven World Drivers Championship wins, over the years, Lewis Hamilton has gone on to claim the most F1 wins, podium finishes, and pole positions, making him the most successful British F1 driver in history. Lewis also makes moves off the track, he has spoken out against racism and the lack of diversity in motorsports, often using his platform to call out injustice. His charity, Mission 44, named after his racing number, seeks to help young people from underrepresented backgrounds. All right, let's go on to our next two people today. And that is Octavia Butler. Octavia Butler. She lived from 1946 to 2006. Award-winning author Octavia Butler was a visionary writer of the science fiction genre. Her books explored race, gender, women's rights, and climate change. Octavia was born in Pasadena, California. A very shy girl, she lived with dyslexia, a learning difference that affects how our brains process language. Despite this, she found solace in reading and writing and in the sci-fi genre most of all. Octavia is best known for her works Kindred, Fledgling, Pattern Master, and Parable of the Sower. In addition to many awards given for her masterful writing, Octavia was also the first science fiction writer to be awarded a MacArthur Genius Grant. Her fan base continues to grow after her death with new readers discovering her words. Now, um, I believe Kindred has been turned into a television series, although it is not definitely not the book. Um, it's an adaptation of the book. But I did not know that Octavia was dyslexic, which makes this all the more her career all the more incredible as a writer. Um, one of her quotes here, it says, I began writing about power because I had so little. Wow. And look at how her work is continuing to empower people today, encourage people today, especially those who are into uh, the sci-fi genre. Next up, we have Thomas Sankara. Thomas Sankara lived from 1949 to 1987. He was Burkina Faso's president for just four years but his revolutionary politics established him as an iconic African leader. Thomas was born in Yako, Upper Volta, a French colony at the time. He pursued a career in the military and soon rose up in the ranks. His interest in progressive politics and his frustration with the poverty and corruption he saw led him to pursue a position of power where he could bring about change. 
After a coup, Thomas became president at age 33. He renamed the country Burkina Faso, or the land of upright people, and quickly set about making positive changes for women's rights, health care, literacy, and the environment, and much more. His time in power was cut short when he was assassinated, but his visionary work lives on. This is a statement that was made by Thomas Sankara. While, while revolutionaries as individuals can be murdered, you cannot kill ideas. And let's do one more. Now, he has been in the news recently uh, with the release of the new movie that is a adaptation of his life. It is not his whole life story, um, but the movie One Love, which is now out, um, is based on a portion of Bob Marley's life. And let's read on. Bob Marley was born in 1945 and he passed away in 1981. He is remembered as an icon and leading figure in reggae. His music and advocacy for peace and human rights spread around the world and made him an international star. Born in the small rural village of Nine Mile, Robert Bob Nesta Marley was the son of Sadella Booker and Norval Marley. His father left the family soon after Bob's birth and died when Bob was 10 years old. Bob was harassed for being the child of an older white father and a young black mother and nicknamed white boy by his bullies. His painful experiences growing up would go on to influence his thinking and his music. Bob spent his teenage years in Trenchtown in a government-supported tenement yard in Kingston. Although conditions were brutal and violent, it was also the birthplace of reggae music, with Bob as one of his pioneers. During this time, he explored different music genres, including ska, worked on his singing skills, and released songs. In 1963, he created The Wailers, a ska and reggae group with friends at the time, Peter Tosh and Bunny Whaler. The band, led by Marley's distinct voice, found success from the start and continued to grow and gain international fame. A believer in anti-colonialism, anti-racism, and equal human rights, Bob used his music to share his ideas. When the Whalers split in 1974, Bob launched his solo career with many of his songs promoting peace and love as well as highlighting the oppression happening around him and the world. His power was feared by some, and in 1976, he survived an assassination attempt, which is what the movie One Love is mainly based on. He continued to use his voice, and in 1978, Bob tried to help unite battling political groups in Jamaica by headlining the One Love concert on which the film is based. After his death from cancer at age 36, Bob was honored with the Jamaican government's Order of Merit and laid to rest by thousands of mourners who visited while he laid in state in Jamaica's national arena. Decades after his death, Bob's music continues to move listeners old and new, and his legacy of striving for peace and unity is not forgotten. Um, Bob Marley is really, I would say, an important musical figure for me. Um, because a lot of people say, well, he was, while he was in the ghetto, he was getting a lot of these songs and writing a lot of these songs. Well, while I was a teenager living in the ghetto, <laughs> listening to gunshots and 
helicopters flying overhead to airlift people from gunshot wounds and listening to um, all of the noise that was happening around me. Um, his album, his music was a calming and centering factor for me. Now, I cannot say as a teenager, I understood all of the messages in his music, but I can name you what my playlist was, right? And I can, I can sort of remember what I was doing when I was listening to his music. And I can't say that about a whole lot of artists. Um, I remember singing, you know, Exodus, Movement of the People. I remember singing, Get Up, Stand Up, Stand Up for Your Rights, right? I remember singing One Love. I remember singing, what was that? Um, Could You Be Loved? That was something that I just kept on replay. And I don't know what it was for me about that particular time in my life, but it was like his music kept me focused. His music was a calming force for me. Um, when I needed to do homework and I needed to focus, I would put on Bob Marley's music and just let it replay in the background while I was getting my homework done. Um, it was not until much, much later in my life that I realized, hey, this isn't just good music to just bop your head to, but he was actually communicating some very important things about society, some very important things about justice, some very important things about his political and his faith beliefs. Um, and so if you are in music, if you are a musician, um, and of course you want to impact people, you definitely want to be creating music that goes beyond your lifetime and that continues to speak to the world, its condition and society. Those of us who are in the music field or are singers or are songwriters, you know, we have want to have this idea that long after we're gone, our music will continue to be played. Our music will continue to be appreciated by other people. Um, that the words that we are putting to paper and putting on wax, right, or digitizing, that those words will continue to reverberate long after we are gone. And um, I think that that was one of Bob's goals, that he didn't just want his music to be, it was a feel-good sound, yes, but the message behind it is something that he wanted to continue, and I believe that um, it's doing its job in the earth. And so I am excited about seeing the film. I have, I am under no illusions that it is a full picture of him or that it is even a fully accurate picture of him because there has been some debate about, um, I think the actor who played his friend, Peter Tosh, all of those scenes got chopped out and they left them on the cutting floor. And so there is some, a little bit of controversy around that, but people were saying, hey, give Peter his own film. And I agree with that. Um, I think that Peter Tosh deserves his own film because he does play a significant part in the role of reggae and in the social and political things that were happening during the time. So honor that man <laughs> and give him his own film.
That's how you handle that. Honor him. Give him his own film. All right. So I was reading from Young, Gifted, and Black 2. As I've said before, this is an excellent book. If you want to just learn about some people you don't know, not just from the United States, but from around the world, pick this book up. It is not just for young people, just because it has graphics in it. <laughs> I happen to like uh, books that have visuals, but there are some really important figures in this one. And I think it would be a great addition to anybody's library. Obviously, if you have young people, um, you have children, middle school, high school, they would probably really enjoy this book. All right. And again, shout out to those of you who participated in our Shakespearean English challenge. If you have not seen that post on my page and you want a good laugh for at least a couple of hours, go to that post. Um, it is people speaking in their version of Shakespearean language on how to tell people that they have bad breath. Oh my God. I didn't know there were so many talented writers following my page. But now that I know, I am so excited. Um, but yeah, go look at that post if you want some some good laughter for at least an hour. Because I've been laughing for days because I've just been reading the new ones that are being added. People are adding one new ones every day. I am reading from now, Historically Black Phrases. I am so glad that these authors, Jared Hill and Travell Anderson, got together and created, yes, an encyclopedia of our sayings to one another. It's funny. It's good. And to have a lot of them in one place that you can just buy and pick up is amazing. I hear a lot of these online all the time. But to have them in one place for posterity is pretty cool. We are in the section of this book. This book is um, divided up into sections. And let me see if I can get to the sections here. So the sections are gossip and storytelling, cautions and warnings, consequences and repercussions, inspiring and affirming, which is where we are today, church sayings, units of measure, black versions, queer and trans, love, sex, and relations, and the kitchen sink. Historically black phrases from I ain't one of your little friends, which if you have a black mom, you've probably heard that somewhere at some point in time in your life, to who all gonna be there? We're in the inspiring and affirming section. I'm gonna read a couple of these. And then it looks like we're at the end and we're going to move on to church. <laughs> sayings that come, black sayings that come out of the black church. This ought to be really interesting. Last one under inspiring and affirming. You put your foot in it. Also akin to you put your elbow in it. You put your toe in it. <laughs> but most people hear it as you put your foot in it, right? Translation, you did well, it is good, it tastes good, it's awesome, it's really good. 
This is as good as it gets. This is reserved to praise food, drinks, and other creative hands-on pursuits, not to be confused with putting one's foot in one's mouth or stepping in it. An extra speaker might take it a further and say, you put your whole ankle in this thing. All right. Let the church say amen. You don't have to go to church to know that when someone calls out, God is good, you're supposed to respond with, somebody type it into the chat. If somebody says God is good and you're in the audience, what are you expected to say? Let's see who's going to put it down there first. <laughs> you don't have to go to church to know this answer. I'm waiting. Someone says God is good. And what do you respond with? Thank you. All the time. And then they would say, and all the time. And the people would say, God is good. That's call and response. That's a little bit of African-American history. Every time we do that, by the way. Black culture and the black church are inextricably linked. Like melting ice cubes, distinguishing one's influence on broader pop culture from the other is almost impossible. Uh-huh. All the time, God is. Mm-hmm. The first person thanked in award show acceptance speeches, especially by black people, is God. Crosses and Jesus pendants hang around the necks of celebrities and everyday folks, often encrusted in diamonds or her more economical cousin, cubic zirconia. From the ways we celebrate and get on one accord, let the church say amen, to how we mourn or complain, trouble don't last always. The Black American experience, while never a monolith, is one peppered with religion or at least spirituality. The interplay is present in our music. Take, for example, Jackie, Nisi, Twinkie, Dorinda, and Karen, better known as the legendary group, the Clark Sisters. They're not just gospel superstars, as entertainment executive Michael Chen reminded us. They're also our favorite singers, favorite singers. Everyone from Tony Braxton and Mariah Carey to the ladies of Escape count the daughters of the iconic Dr. Maddie Moss Clark, who redefined choral arrangements as their inspiration, as does Queen Latifah, Mary J. Blige, and Missy Elliott, who alongside others produced the Clark Sisters, First Ladies of Gospel, a lifetime film that was the number one TV movie of 2020. Both Beyonce and Jay-Z sampled the Clark Sisters on their culture-shifting and decidedly not gospel albums, Renaissance and 444. Moreover, projects in recent years from Chance the Rapper, Kanye West, Lizzo, and Snoop Dogg have taken messages of faith and spirituality and the sound of Big Mama's church house out of the pulpit and into mass culture, as does much of Kirk Franklin's discography. Not all of us grew up filling into pews for five-hour Sunday sermons and midweek Bible studies, though. We don't all know our way through the discographies of gospel titans like James Cleveland, Walter Hopkins, Shirley Caesar, Yolanda Adams, Donnie McClurkin, Fred Hammond, and Mary Mary. We all aren't even Christian, 
nor do all of us believe in a higher power at all, no matter his, her, or their name. But you don't have to go to church to know that when someone calls out God is good, you're supposed to respond with all the time. And when that same person follows with all the time, you're supposed to say God is good. Because such a refrain can be heard everywhere from the line at the post office to the locker room of the strip club with really good wings. Exclamations of won't he do it populate countless people's chosen vocabulary regardless of the speaker's own relationship or lack thereof to a God. It's just another thing that people say in this culture. Even if we weren't raised religious or raised in a church, we definitely have a special affection and a special way of learning from people who are older than us or people who are steeped in the strength of their faith. So if you didn't go, your grandparents or caregivers or parents may have gone. You're not necessarily learning in the church, but you're learning it from them. So that's why they have an entire chapter dedicated to phrases that came out of the church that has now made its way into pop culture. Let's hear what some of them are. Lay hands. <laughs> mm -mm -mm. If you're in the streets and somebody says, I don't want to have to lay hands. They're not talking about blessing you. <laughs> However, in the church, when they say lay hands, they are actually talking about laying hands on you to pray for you or to bless you. Not so much in the streets, okay? Pronunciation, lay hands with the emphasis on hands. To strike, hit, or pummel with one's hands. In religion, to bless someone in the name of likely black Jesus, using anointed hands, usually on the head or the shoulders. Outside of the church, it simply means to strike somebody. Frequently used as a part of a warning when preceded by, I'm gone, lay hands, or I'm gonna have to lay hands. And there's nothing really holy about that. Here's one that I just heard used the other day when I attended a funeral. Casket sharp, impeccably dressed, or well put together. It's used to express being impressed by someone's wardrobe, grooming, or styling. Derived from the idea that someone's burial attire is some of the best clothing that they'll likely wear, but on this occasion, they've cheated death. Likely spoken by a baby boomer, a Gen Xer, or a person with an otherwise old soul. Additional derivatives include being first day of school sharp, Easter sharp, or sharp enough to bury. <laughs> These next two are often said by people who usually are the devil or usually causing problems. <laughs> the first one is the devil is busy. No, sir, no, ma'am. You are the one causing the problems. But it's a well-known saying, the devil is busy or I'm being tempted. It expresses the idea of wanting to do good, to behave well, or stick to one's willpower while recognizing that the temptation is present to do otherwise. Also a way to express that something less than ideal is occurring and attributing it to the forces of evil. 
And then there's the cousin. The devil is a liar. <laughs> Pronunciation, the devil is a lie. With emphasis on is a lie. Translation, what I'm witnessing cannot be true. Usually an exclamation, this expression conveys disbelief on behalf of the speaker. Similar to, I know you lying. It might be quickly followed by, and the truth ain't in him. Two more. Trouble don't last always. Mm, mm, mm. And that is the truth. Translation, the struggle and strife being experienced won't be here forever. A word of encouragement extended to friends, family members, and congregants by someone attempting to inspire them to keep on keeping on. A derivative of Psalm 30 verse 5, which reads, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And finally, tell the truth, shame the devil. I think we've been getting a lot of that uh, truth telling happening in 2024. Translation, don't let the evil spirit of deceit take pride in your behavior. A rejoinder to the historically black phrase, snitches get stitches, that encourages the spoken to not to lie in the face of temptation. Also used by members of a congregation or peanut gallery to affirm and support a potentially controversial yet truthful statement made by the spoken to. Tell the truth and shame the devil. I think we got time for one more. This is a favorite one for me. Speak on it. <laughs> say the thing that you're not supposed to say. An interjection of support when the spoken to has broached a topic or point that may be deemed controversial, but should not be shied away from. Speak on it. All right. So those are some of the historically black phrases that are cataloged and archived in this lovely, lovely book. This is a perfect gift for the wordsmiths and the comedians in your family. You want to get them something for their birthday, Black History Month. It's perfect to add to your library. If you're like me, who is a bibliophile and I love to read and I love to read things that have to do with jokes. Um, I have dictionaries on sarcasm because I like to use it. Um, so this is perfect for that. All right. Get the book. Get the book. Get the book. Support Black authors. Get the book. All right. I want to thank you for your time and attention today. I am going to take this show to my IG and we're going to chop it up over there. We'll have some dialogue. If you want to join me there, you can join me at Daring Dialogues, all one word on IG. I look forward to seeing you over there. Have a great one, everyone. Take care, be well, and most importantly, be light. See you there in a moment.